Lord, we do love you and we thank you that uh, you have come and are coming again. And in light of that, we're facing all sorts of craziness in our here and now. And yet we're inviting you, God, to make yourself known, reveal yourself, open our eyes to see you in new ways so that we can walk faithfully to follow you uh, no matter what life brings. Jesus, we celebrate you. You're the reason we're here. Uh, come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Uh, a amen. So uh, we've been looking at joy to the world, and traditionally Advent is about hope and peace and joy, and this week we would talk about love, but I just felt because of the season we've been in, we need an OD, we need an overdose on joy. There's been so much hard news at every level. And so this year we're focusing all around joy. It doesn't mean hope and peace aren't important or love isn't important. Duh, of course it is. But this year we're focusing on what joy is. Last week we defined it. Joy is a, uh, is a gladness that is grounded in God. It's an internal, a gladness in your soul that's not just from you. It actually comes from God and it can keep you strong in the middle of life's trials and troubles. And so for us, we wanna see not only what joy is, because it's not tied to our circumstances. Biblical joy isn't tied to what you're going through. It's not tied to what you have or don't have. It's not tied to who you know or who you have yet to meet. All of those things matter. Happiness depends on what's happening at the time. We're talking about what the Bible leans in on, an internal but very real gladness of soul that's grounded in our relationship with God. And we've seen it in the narratives around Christmas. We've seen it in Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were glad in their soul when God said to them, those who cannot have a child will have one. And their son, John, will lead people back into the presence of God and he'll make straight away for the Messiah to come. It's because God spoke to them that they had a joy within. And we saw last week in Mary and in Joseph, the impossible, they're about to get married, but they're not yet living as a married couple. And they hadn't been together in a married way. But God said, God announced to them, you, Mary, are going to be blessed. You're gonna give birth to the Savior. And so that, because of God's word to her, she had an internal gladness and said, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. And we want to lean in on that and, um, and think past Christmas today because, frankly, we're going to read the entire Christmas narrative and have all these great Christmas songs in like five days, okay? So we're going to do that. I want us to think beyond Christmas today in relationship to joy. It shouldn't just be a seasonal thing. Now, when I say beyond Christmas, I'm not thinking about the sales or returning half the gifts that you got. I'm thinking about post-Christmas into the new year, will our lives, because of what we celebrate, be marked by an internal gladness that's grounded in God? Well, I want us to see just a bit of where that joy comes from and how we can grow in it. And we'll start by looking at um, the Christmas narrative, Luke chapter two, and we'll start in verse four, and then we'll read the rest on Friday, and, and we'll, we'll think past the Gospels about how Jesus produces joy in our lives today. All right, Luke chapter two, verse four says, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child, which is just so crazy. This is not the way life should be. They're on the road and something's going to happen. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So no hometown, no like little bag with all your stuff ready to go to the hospital. Suddenly she's ready to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. So they're in the dirtiest of places because there was no guest room available for them. And we read this last week, but it's good just to refresh that, that God meets us in messy places. That's what we saw. God's joy could be found in us in very messy environments. And the whole story of Jesus being born is a classic mess. We've made it a nativity scene and glorious and beautiful and sterilized, but, but that's not the way it happened. But God was there. Now, I want us to see about this joy because what happens to Mary and what happens to Joseph is actually happening to someone else in parallel. Keep reading, verse eight. So there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone all around them and they were terrified. I love it. Ever just been out at night and you, and you just see the sunset and the, all of Portland becomes pink. You know, it's just beautiful, like wow. Or, or late, late at night, and you're out in the fields away from all the street lights, and you look up at the stars, you're like, wow, this is beautiful. That's not what the scene is. That's not what the scene is. They're out there tending to animals. There is no light. No one's got their iPhone out, the little flashlight, as it's in their back pocket. You ever have your back pocket glow? That happens to me because I keep my flashlight on for whatever reason. But this, this is not that. This is suddenly shocking light and a voice from heaven. They are invaded while they're watching these sheep. And then this voice comes to them because they're scared. They're not happy. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Here's why. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This is the reminder what happened that we celebrate at Christmas is a reminder that what God's doing in you is not just about you. See, Jesus is coming to the world and, and Mary and Joseph are experiencing that joy. God is with them even in the manger. Yet at the same token, God is with other people. Uh, what's happening around your life and in your life isn't just about you. And as you read the narrative, God weaves all of these stories of his work at, in the world and people's lives and he blends it all together, which means God has greater purposes than we could imagine. We need to remember that. Joy will come when you realize that God's doing something that's bigger than just you. And what he's producing in you is going to spill over Zechariah and Elizabeth, have joy in them, and it reaches the town when John is born. And Mary and Joseph have joy in them, but that joy is going to spill to the shepherds, and it's going to spill to the wise men, and it's going to spill to us 2,000 years later. What God's doing is about more than us. Now, the rest of the text gives us, Luke gives us what happens. We'll pause on that, and we'll look at it on Friday. We've got to leave something for you, okay? So the rest on Friday. Now, today, we ended with, there is good news, a great joy that's going to be for all people. How does the joy that we see in Christmas connect with the rest of the year 
And how does that grow in our lives, like in the real world? I want us to think about a couple of things. The first is when we look at this and we look at all the gospels, we need to realize that Jesus brings joy into troubled places. This, this is where God and our life like really intersect. Jesus, not only on Christmas does he bring joy to that manger and that family that's young and wondering where do they fit in the plan of God, that Jesus actually all throughout his life brings joy to troubled places. So Jesus is the person who's out there eating with the person no one wants to eat with. Touching the person no one wants to touch. There's the leper and Jesus is unafraid to touch. The woman who's, who's had a blood issue is considered unclean for more than a dozen years. He has no problem when she comes up and touches him and she's made whole. Lazarus is dead, dead as in dead, dead, dead. Four days rotting flesh and, and, and Jesus speaks his name and he comes out of the grave. There are people who don't have anything to eat and Jesus multiplies food. Uh, they're in the storm and, and the disciples think they're gonna sink and they shake Jesus, save us. And he's like, you're kidding me, be still. And silence comes to the waves and the wind and they're rescued. Jesus brings joy to troubled places, not just in the nativity, in all of life. And when you think about the Bible and then the gospel biographies, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that mark out the New Testament and the trajectory of where the world is headed, what you realize is that Jesus is marked by a, a joyfulness. The, the kids wanna be around him. Kids can, can sniff a fake. But the kids want, to the point where, where he has to tell the disciples, don't stop the kids from coming to meet Jesus. What do they say about Jesus? Jesus eats a lot. They literally said that about Jesus. He eats. Oh, he eats with the wrong people. And he drinks, so they considered him a drunkard. No, Jesus was like the life of the party because he's life itself, right? Jesus is about bringing people together and celebrating and if you don't believe me, I want us to think about a couple of things that Jesus said to his disciples that we ought to think about when we consider the trouble we're going through. Look, we're in all sorts of places this morning. We're in all sorts of places wherever you're watching from. We may be in a spot in life. You may be in a spot in life where you feel like, I don't know if I can make it through this Christmas season. I don't seem to have any hope. You need to hold on. Listen to how Jesus describes life when it's deeply connected to him. Let's uh, think about something Jesus said. Popular story, Luke 15, there are three parables, three stories Jesus told to make a very real point. And there's a coin, there's lost is 10, one's gone, and the woman sweeps the house and grabs and finds that lost coin and she brings it, tells everyone, we need to rejoice, the lost coin is found. And, and there's a hundred uh, sheep, but one goes away and there's a lost one and the shepherd goes out and finds the one that's lost and brings the sheep home and we need to celebrate and rejoice and the sheep's on its shoulders. The, the one that's gone off is safe and home. We need to rejoice. And then the final one, many of us know these, um, they're all about the same thing. There's a son. So it increases in a coin. Whoa, but then a, a living animal. Wow. No, no, no. It's son. A precious son. He, uh, says to dad, I'm, I'm done with you. Give me what's mine. I'm gonna do my own thing. And asks for his inheritance, which in their language would be saying, 
Dad, I wish you were dead because I want my money. He gives him the money and he goes off and spends it in wild living and he makes a mess of his life and then he's at the rock bottom eating animal food thinking, my servants have a better meal than this. I'm gonna go back to dad and say, dad, I don't deserve to be a son. I've already taken wrongfully what belongs to you, but out, just make me a servant. His heart begins to change. And then we pick up in the story, Luke 15, I'll I'll read midstream. Jesus says, but while this son that I've just been talking about was still a long way off, the father saw him, so evidently the father's looking, and was filled with what? Compassion for him. And he waited till his son made it to the steps, and he was stern and yelled. No, he ran. He ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him, and noticed the progression. Now the son said to him, because he'd rehearsed his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, so he ignores this kid, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, like the big, big, big one, and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Jesus is accused of being in a party place a lot because Jesus is the joy bringer, right? And so here he says, let's have a feast celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. The rebel comes home. We must celebrate, which is joy. And, and I want us to see this because when we think about how we can increase in having honest to goodness, deep, grounded gladness, that, that, that isn't God and we're not making it up ourselves, we need to realize that wherever we are in life, God is looking. That's the point. And God is searching. And the kid is saying, man, I really need to come back to God. But it's really about the father who's looking for the son and, and the, the father running, running to greet, ignoring what he says, although it does reflect what his heart is like. When we come to God in a way that's honest and humble and repentant, and we realize what we've done and how we've made a mess. And we come to him and say, God, I want, I want you. I'm not even worthy. The father's already hugged him, already kissed him, already ordered for the party to begin. And here's why. Luke 15, 10. I tell you, because it's not about coins and sheep and the son. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When one. It's crazy. When It's not like when there's a collective group of people and a whole church turns back. When one, one person recognizes the Father loves them and turns towards them. When one person says, you know what? I'm hoping God might be gracious and realize he's more gracious than we deserve. When one comes with their brokenness and the Father doesn't even repeat what's been broken. The Father just thinks about his future because he's a child and he's a son. And says, come on over. There's a party to be had because you matter. When one person knows the grace of God and a new start and sin forgiven and a new life and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the body, the family, call the church and the future of glory with God. When, when, when one person gets it, there's great rejoicing in the presence of angels. What if we actually realize that that happened for us, for you. Do you know when you made a move 
back towards God, all of heaven was watching. What if, what if you realize that we're saying, well, me? No, I don't have some radical story. You don't need a radical story. We're all rebellious. We're all sinful. We're all selfish. But when you turn your eyes towards the Father, all of heaven is watching and all of heaven rejoices. Why? Because Jesus brings joy into troubled places and Jesus is the risen king and he's exalted and he's ruling. So now with him in the presence of all angels, when people just like us turn towards God, heaven rejoices. This is good news. This is the reason for joy. And so Jesus will teach his disciples in, in John's gospel, John 15, about how this happens in us. Okay, heaven rejoices. There's celebration. There's celebration in the Father's presence. God the Father, Son, and Spirit rejoice over you and love when you turn to him to receive grace and mercy. But how, how does that joy now live in me? If heaven rejoices, if God rejoices, how do I learn to grow in joy even when my circumstances seem bleak? John 15, Jesus says, and he uses another picture, I'm the vine, and you are the branches, and this is super obvious, we live in wine country, cut the branch off of the vine, there is no fruit, there is no life. That's the obvious connection. The source of life is through the vine. So I'm the vine, you're the branches, Jesus says. So if you remain in me, branch connected to vine, and I in you, life coming from the vine to the branch, you will bear much fruit. And then he says the opposite's true. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you remain in me and my words, okay, so now we're beginning to see. So connecting to the vine, being a branch, is about hearing and receiving the life-giving words of Jesus and putting them into practice. If my words remain in you, then guess what? Fruit will happen. What's fruit? Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. The life from Jesus will flow from him, the joy from Jesus, from him to you. And then here's the why. This is to my Father's glory. It's not about you. It's not about me. But God is glorified when you and I bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my followers Apprentices, disciples. Now, I've told you this so that, Jesus speaking, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. One translation says that, that your joy will overflow. Another translation says that your joy may be full. And I, I want us to catch the progression. Vine has the life Life into the branch, fruit comes from that. And, and Jesus says, this is how joy works. My joy, I want it to be in you. And when my joy is in you, it will overflow. It will be full. Uh, to state the obvious, Jesus says that joy is his. It's his. So, we as his followers, we're not trying to live into some sort of emotional happiness that we can muster up. We're not saying to one another, why don't you be joyful? Why don't you be joyful? Why don't you be joyful? Hey, smile, be joyful. Why are you so down? Be joyful. We're not trying to muster this up. We're not trying to create it because 
lasting, honest to goodness, gladness that's grounded in God comes from God himself. He wants it to overflow. So how, okay, so how can we increase? Jesus wants his joy when you're living as his disciple that the overflow of you hearing his words, putting them into practice, walking in his ways, avoiding what he says to avoid, not living a perfect life, but an obedient life. When, when, I'm, when I'm tracking with God, there is going to be produced in me, no matter what's happening around me, a joy that comes from him. How does he do it? Write this down. Jesus produces his joy in us by the Holy Spirit. God clearly tells us what biblical joy is about. It comes from the Father, and it's, yes, from the Son, and it comes through the Spirit. So it's not the same thing as a positive attitude. It's not the same thing. And again, we use the same word for all sorts of reasons. Like you got the promotion and now I'm filled with joy. Now I'm filled with happiness about circumstances that went my way. But when circumstances don't go your way, can you still have an inner gladness? Well, you can, and it, and it doesn't come from us. It's grounded in God. Um, Galatians 5, Paul teaching the church, and there's a similar metaphor here, the vine, the branch, his joy being complete in us. And, and Paul says this, but the fruit, Jesus said we're gonna bear fruit. The fruit of having the spirit is love. And it is joy. And it is peace. And then he goes on to say all these other things, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against uh, such things, there is no, no law. When you are living out of the overflow of what God is producing into you, you don't need rules because when you're walking in God's ways, God is love and you're gonna love people and God is joy and you're gonna receive it and give it. So the evidence, the evidence of a genuine relationship with God is not attendance. The evidence that you're really walking with God is not how many times you go to meetings or how much you read or even how much you do. You know what the evidence is? God's presence in your life. God's presence, yeah. God is love. So the evidence that you're walking as one of his followers is that over time, God's love begins to pour through your branch, your life. And the same thing happens with joy. So when you receive Jesus Christ, the Bible says that when you receive Jesus Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit. That is, and, and he gives us a new heart, not organ, but a new center, and at the center of our life, it is no longer just us. It is God's presence, God's Holy Spirit living within me. This is a mystery, but it's absolutely beautiful. And, and we recognize that putting the right things in produces things. That's why people package and market, take these vitamins, eat this, drink this, and it will make you, you know, better. It will give you mental clarity. It will give you clearer skin. We get that. What, what goes in matters. And when you choose to follow Jesus Christ, and repent of your sin, you receive God's presence. God lives with you. You say, Jose, but I'm not really not, not very God-like. Yeah, and that's the balance of the Christian life. He wants us to show the evidence that he's with us, but he is with us. And so genuine joy comes from God's presence transforming our lives day by day. His presence combating 
the other things in my life that are unlike him and want to rebel against him. What God is doing is he's transforming us from the inside out. And so genuine joy, hear me, is possible for you irrespective of your current circumstances. And sometimes those circumstances are gonna turn sideways. I mean, Jesus' joy, write this down, will sustain us through seasons of suffering. Why does your joy matter? Joy comes from God. God is love and God is peace and God is joy and God is patient. So when I receive Jesus Christ, his presence comes into my life. Now, why does this matter? Because not everything in life is gonna go according to plan. I think you would already get that. And this is the frustrating part of following Jesus. Why do things that are terrible happen to Jesus' people? In one sense, I know. In another sense, I don't know. But here's what I could tell you with confidence. As we're going to see in the Bible, God can use all of these circumstances, the good ones that we enjoy and the ones that we don't enjoy, to produce a deeper joy, a deeper grounded gladness in God. Um, Stephen and Kelsey, Stephen's our newest pastor here, and he taught a couple of weeks ago, and he's led worship, and he's an amazing guy with an amazing family. And Stephen and Kelsey, they uh, have two boys, Levi and Judah, and this week, Judah was really sick over Thanksgiving, fighting serious cold and all sorts of effects. Man, 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 we're praying for baby Judah to get better. Well, they ended up in the ER this week. Um, And it turned out, on top of getting sick over the holidays, that he, uh, he has infantile spasms. They've said it's okay to, to share this with you. And that means he is seizing um, often and without the ability to control. So we're gonna pray in just a moment that God would <sighs> that he would cause that to cease, right? So Infantile spasms is not, um, it's not very common. I know of two other people who've had this as well. And it's not something you want to hear as a parent. It's bad news. It's, it's sad news. It's troubling news. And so uh, when these things happen, it's okay to feel overwhelmed, right? So we need to learn where joy and trouble, where they interface. And so we don't want to be, well, hey, just be chipper. Well, no, there are moments where we say, this is horrible and this is shocking and this is confusing, and it is okay to bring those things to God. You shouldn't be happy over horrible news. It's very normal to say why, and it's very normal to resist that it's even happening and to wish it weren't. But this, to me, is where Jesus really steps in, and following him really matters because God, by his Spirit, produces a love and a joy and a peace and a patience that we cannot produce. And when you recognize that God is already in sending Jesus demonstrated his love fully. And when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and you're gonna be with me and I'm gonna be with you forever. And when Jesus says, I'm never gonna leave you, I'm never gonna abandon you, I will be with you always. See, these two things are fighting one another and this is where God's joy and his nearness really matters. Um, it's why the writer to the Hebrews, after listing all of these people of faithfulness to God, and Abraham, and Noah, and the long list of 
hundreds of years of people who live faithful to God, he writes to the church who's going through a hard time, and he writes these words. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then focusing on this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Christmas, the advent of Jesus, is not just a celebration that Jesus, God in the flesh, is born, but it's a reminder of God's given his greatest gift already. And Jesus, the greatest gift, is acquainted with our suffering. He knows what it's like for sinful people like us to want to crucify him, to speak evil. He knows if you've been hurt by others, he knows that kind of suffering. If you're going through something physical and your body is not the way it should be or your loved one is suffering in ways that it shouldn't be, do you know Jesus understands that too? Because he's innocent and he's tortured. Physical torture. But for the joy that was set before him, he was able to withstand it. What's the joy set before him? This is going to sound crazy, but it's so true. You. You. Me. Us. The prize of having a way for us to come back to God was enough for Jesus to withstand everything that he did. He limited himself and was born a baby. The creator became part of the creation and Jesus scraped his knee and Jesus was hungry and Jesus was tired and Jesus was, was misunderstood and talked evil about. And, and Jesus saw suffering in horrible ways in other people harming one another and his own disciples trying to hurt other people and calling themselves his followers. Jesus, he gets every bit of suffering, emotional and physical, psychological. He understands all of it. And, and the prize, he was able to, because he is joy, he was able to withstand because for him, knowing that at the end, you and I would walk in his presence and be with him and we seem to be worth it enough for him. And, and in the same way, when we look at our own lives, we recognize that Jesus steps in and he does things, but sometimes he heals quickly. He pulls Lazarus out of the grave. And I already mentioned a few examples of the miracles where they just were confronted with Jesus and Jesus ended it. And, and other times, Jesus seems not to do that in the circumstance doesn't change. Um, there were people who died in Jesus' day that he did not raise to life. There were sick who remained sick. And they were in proximity to Jesus. In one place it says he couldn't do many miracles there in Nazareth because of their unbelief. There are all sorts of things that Jesus actually knows how to thread the needle on how to walk through hard times because he gets it too. He He's a man, a human, just like us, yet he is God. And so at moments like this, what we ought to do is fix our eyes, that's what the writer of Hebrews says, fix our eyes on him, the author, the beginner, the 
perfecter, the completer of everything that we believe. And so joy doesn't come from us, it comes from God. And joy wants to bring that, that, that God wants to bring that joy into your troubled place. He will do that by the Holy Spirit. When you begin to follow him, God's presence will be with you. Then you'll have the ability to produce in your life this inner groundedness because you know God and you've seen his faithful track record and life is scary and you don't know how it's gonna turn out, but yet you can lean on and fix your eyes on him, not, not your joy, but his joy living in you. Uh, one more verse related to this and we wanna pray for the Collins family and we're gonna respond in worship together. And I realize I, I've known about this for a couple of days and I, I dropped a bomb on some of you and I, I apologize for just doing that so quickly. But I, I figured uh, more people praying is pretty amazing. So uh, with their um, you know, willingness for everyone to pray and desire for everyone to pray, I wanted you to know. But James 1 says this, and this, this is mysterious. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that is a paradox, right? How many joyful about the next trial? I'm, I'm not. But, but James could say with confidence because he knows Jesus and he's walking with him now. He's a leader in Jesus' church. We can consider our circumstances, our trouble, and we can actually factor in joy. Here's why. Because you know that this testing of your trust produces something. What? Perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so this is, this doesn't completely answer, but sometimes uh, Jesus seems slow to us in changing our circumstances, but we can say this, he's actually working because the circumstances aren't changing, but he's producing in us, if we'll allow him, a perseverance and a character and a maturity, and could I even suggest, an even more deeply grounded joy that's way beyond happiness about the happy circumstances. But an ability to walk through hard times with a confidence that God is still good and he is still for me. So we trust, right? How do we do this? We trust that the Holy Spirit will produce in us love and joy and peace. And, and we rejoice because in all of it, no matter where you are right now, if you are one of Jesus' followers, he guaranteed he is with you. Now, if you're not one of his followers, he sees you and he loves you and he's inviting you. But it gets back to Jesus' word on joy. There's a celebration when one who is turned away from the Father's love comes back to it. And could it be that some of our circumstances in life in the mysterious plan of God he uses to draw us closer to his love. And even though we don't like it, we can consider it when we start following him, pure joy. That God did what I would never do and God worked in ways I would never work. Well, you know what? I'm not God. And so, wow, I've experienced God in ways I didn't know. So uh, we want to pause and at home we want to invite you to pray and here in the room we want to invite you to pray 
Lord, um, we don't understand. Yet we are confident you are good. And so, Lord, we pray for uh, baby Judah. We ask, Lord, that you would stop the seizures. We ask that you would do it even now. We ask that uh, there'd be no damage long-term to his young, frail body. We pray that the outcome would lead to his full recovery. We ask you, God, that like you have done before, you just told the wind to stop. And loving God, we thank you that whenever we call on your name, you hear us. And you said that we would have what we asked in your name, that our joy would be complete. So Jesus, thank you that you covered our past and you're with us today and our future secure in you. So on the details, thank you, loving God, that you're going to work even these very difficult details for your good. Lord, we pray full healing. And, and we look with open eyes and expectancy to see your hand at work. Uh, and in the middle of it, Lord, for all of us, even though we're, we're not even physically related, uh, God, we're family and you, we're brothers and sisters and you. Would you produce in us a love and a joy and a peace and a patience and all on that list that are the evidence that we actually belong to you. God, will you produce this in us? And um, we, we do say, God, we, we thank you, not for the, not for the circumstances, uh, but we thank you that you're above them. Loving God, this Christmas, we're asking for this kind of gift. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. Uh, thank you for uh, praying for the Collins family. We'll obviously keep you up to date uh, as, as the details come out in a way that makes sense. All right. Um, so, okay, Jose, that's a really rough situation. Well, what do we do while we wait? Um, we're going to respond in worship, but I'm going to take it to the end of the Bible because one of the last lines of the Bible, it's like four lines before the end of the whole Bible, there's a statement from Jesus, and I'll just quote it. Revelation 22:20. 20, yes, I'm coming soon. <laughs> That's good, right? Advent is where we remember the coming of Jesus and his promise to return. So he's coming soon. And so while we await his second coming, we can hold on to him and experience his presence in the middle of hard places. So the question to lean you into Christmas uh, is quite simple. What is my next step in following Jesus? What, what's your next step? So for some of you that's beginning a life with God, you don't even have one yet. You didn't realize you needed one, but you would want one. And the Bible says to all who receive him, to those who trusted his name, he gives the right to become children of God. So if you recognize like the son or daughter, you went off, but you want to come back, you can. So we want to invite you this morning to receive the love of God in Jesus Christ at home or here. Uh, say yes, Jesus. Man, I, I receive. You're, you're a better father than I could ever imagine. Receive him. For the rest of us, what's Jesus inviting you to do in your following of him right now? Where is he leaning you? Where is he pushing you? Where is he prodding you? Where is he challenging you? Where is he encouraging you? Where is he embracing you? What is he doing? What's your next step? Whatever it is this Christmas season, it's more important than any party that we hear from God and we go in his direction.
So I'm gonna invite you to stand and you can respond in lots of ways. Uh, we're gonna sing. Um, the, the response to hearing God's word is with a rejoicing, a singing, a, a celebration of the goodness of God. Uh, you can, if you're in the room, receive prayer. Maybe your situation isn't um, as intense as the Collins, but you certainly have something going on. What, maybe the right response is to, to humble yourself to say, I want, I want to pray with someone. I'm going to invite you during these songs just to slip out of your seat to the left. And in the back left, there's just a couple of chairs and there's a place to meet with one of our prayer team. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, whatever it is, whatever the Spirit's leaning in, uh, let's respond. Lord, um, thank you that you invite us to your presence. And as we sing to you, we're not singing to the sky. You're here. You're with us, Holy Spirit. You're now and alive. And so we recognize you as God. And we want to worship you.